this title of this series is because we're talking about the basics of what it means to be a Christian. Um, and if you haven't gotten this from the title, the, you know, very ba- if we could reduce Christianity down to one thing, it would be Jesus Christ. I don't know what that was. It was an angelic blessing on my head. Um, <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like, we, if we can reduce what Christianity is to a person, it would be Jesus Christ. Okay, so we're calling this basically Jesus. Our aim is to define what Christianity is. What are the basic teachings of Christianity? If you've missed some of this, you can go online. You can visit our website. You can catch up in the, 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 the sermons that preceded it because there were, um, we're probably about six or seven deep in now. Um, so you can catch up there. You can also, you can also check out our tab. That's, that is a resource tab in the sermon section online for different um, books that you can build off of these, these ideas with that you can learn more if, that's, if you're interested in that. Now, some of you know me. Some of you have known me for a while. Some of you, you have known me for six months, uh, six years, or my whole life. You know, like this is a varied um, room. If you've known me for a while, you know that I, I grew up in a Christian environment. Um, I, was, I was raised in a Christian home, and I went to a Christian school my whole life. Um, so throughout my life, um, I always was aware of, you know, the idea of Christianity, the idea of Jesus dying on the cross for my sin. It wasn't until I was about 15 years old where I really understood it for the first time. I, I understood the problem of my own sin, my need to be saved. It just made sense, and it became mine. It wasn't just an idea that was around me anymore. I don't know if that makes sense to you or not, but it was when I was 15 that this happens, and from the get-go, right, right when I came to faith in Jesus, there was this longing in me to be special to God. Like, I wanted to look at me with extra favor, like more than he looked at you with. Right? I'm just going to be real. I'm going to be honest. Um, I wanted that. I, I wanted God to be proud of me. Right? Like, almost like you want your dad to be proud of you. Um, so I wanted to be special to God, and no, no doubt if I was, I guess the math I was doing is I'm special to God, other people will notice too. So there's a little bit of my ego in this, right? But it wasn't entirely, you know, motivated by ego. Um, because I think a lot of that was coming from a young man who was very fragile, um, and, and, and in many ways was just deeply insecure. Am I safe? Am I loved? Do I matter? Like, those are the things that I wanted. I was desperate for those things. And how many people in this room know that you probably share those same insecurities and fears, and, you, and we all go after resolving them in various ways. It might be um, sleeping around. It might be drugs. It might be alcohol, parties. I mean, you can name it. And all those things are kind of like the, you know, the dark, dirty things. But how about good things? You know, I'm going to go to church, and I'm going to be good, and I'm going to be the older son. I'm gonna, everyone's going to know how moral I am. Right? So all of us want this sort of like feeling that um, we matter, that we're important and loved and respected. Isn't that true? So one night um, when I was 15 years old, I was walking down North Street, um, which is the north part of Somerset. Uh, it's, it, it intersects County Street, if you're familiar with Somerset. I'm walking down North Street, 15 or 16 years old. It's a dark, dark night, looking up at the stars, and I'm praying. And I, said, I said this to God. I said, God, when I enter your presence... When I die and I, and I move on to heaven and I'm in your kingdom, I want you to tell me. <laughs> this is pretty audacious. Um, I want you to tell me that of all the people that have ever lived, that I loved you most. <laughs> 
that I was the closest to you. I even said, look, no one else has to know <laughs> like that you're telling me this. The angels don't have to know. The apostle Paul doesn't have to know. Right? You, this can be our secret. Because do, I don't want this so that people can applaud me. I want you to applaud me. That's what was underneath all this. Right? I wanted this sort of special, deep, unique relationship with God. So I knew he loved, so that I just knew I, I did it. I didn't waste my life, you know? Like, I, I lived for the right things. And the older I've gotten in my faith, I, I talk to God about this a little differently. I think there was some sincerity and even purity in that prayer, even those, though it sounds a little bit egotistical um, <laughs> uh, and self-serving. Like, like the, you know, when the disciples said, you know, who's going to be greatest in your kingdom? I guess there was a part of me that was seeking, like, personal prestige. But underneath it all, and I think what was virtuous is, in it, is that I, I didn't want to live for the wrong things. I didn't want to love the wrong things. Right? I didn't want to waste my life. And I didn't want to be far from God. Right? Like, I knew that that was a possibility, that I could go down a road and completely tank my life. I didn't want that. I wanted to be unique, to be special, right? Marked. Near to God. Have you ever, have you wanted, if, if you're a Christian, have you wanted that? Maybe you'd talk about it a little differently than me. But like, have, have you wanted that? Have you pursued that? Like, just sense, like, I need, I need to be different. There needs to be this unique love exchange that sort of drives me between me and God. Like, if you're a Christian, I think at some point, that's probably been in your heart. Because you're after some kind of mark, some mark of accomplishment and uniqueness. So in, my, in my, my youth, I looked for signs that he approved of me, that I had this, that I was doing it right and living right. Things like he answered my prayer. I remember when I was about eight years old, my grandfather had died. Maybe I was a little bit younger. And I wanted to know if he was in heaven. So I said, God, make that tree fall down. And then I'll know <laughs> that he's in heaven. <laughs> right? Um, you laugh, but don't we still kind of do this? You know, like a bird flies by. I'm supposed to be a lawyer. The, bir the bird. Did you see the bird? It's, we, we do the same thing, so don't laugh at me. Um, things like answered prayer, fruitful. I'm a pastor. People get saved. God must love me. You know, lots of pe people are filling up the room. If, he's not, if that's not happening, I'm not, maybe he's mad at me. Maybe, maybe I'm doing something wrong. You see, what I, you see what you do? We all do this effective preaching, whatever it might be, to prove myself that, that I'm living my life right, that, that me and God have a unique love relationship, right? That God loved me, that he, he saw me as special. Some of you might have heard of Benny Hinn. Have you heard of Benny Hinn before? Um, Benny Hinn is a, a, a world-renowned uh, televangelist. Um, he, he comes with a lot of notoriety. He's a highly sought-after author, speaker, faith healer, prosperity teacher, um, as far as, like, my theology and his, we're light years apart, right? Like, but we believe very different things uh, in, in our lives. And a lot of times, like, in my particular, I guess, like, theological subculture, um, the meanest we get, we're pretty hard on him. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, we're pretty tough on that guy. Um, but nevertheless, I've, you know, that's just, that's just the way it is. Something I, I didn't realize, though, about Benny Hinn, I, I'm reading currently a, a biography that's written by his nephew. And um, he talks a lot about his uncle in it. Um, and he revealed that when, when Benny Hinn was young, he was a stutterer. Um, he was poor. He was often made fun of. He was very different than his brothers and sisters. 
like his brothers and sisters were popular, they had friends. This guy just didn't have any of that. He was a misfit. How many misfits we got in the room? Right, yeah, I'm a misfit too. Um, he, to boot, one day his dad comes, imagine your dad coming up, coming up to you and saying something like this to you. He said, Benny, of all my kids, you're not going to make it. Because he was such a misfit. Right? Doesn't that like, if you're in the camp that you, you're kind of like, you don't like him, doesn't that al almost soften your heart a little bit? Puts it into context, doesn't it? Um, his, his nephew said that this, that, that moment set the course of his life. Um, and, he, and Benny Hinn has actually commented that his father's words so wounded him that he would never stop proving him wrong for the rest of his life. Every person healed, every million dollars donated, all of it was to show his dad that he was wrong and that God did love him, did think he was special, right? That's what was going on. And that's how he came to believe it. How did he prove his dad wrong? Because God's, God was blessing him. God was with him. God gave him something that he hadn't given to anyone else. You see, I'm not, I'm not so different. <laughs> My theology is light years apart, but I'm not so different than him. And I don't think you are either. My heart's quest has been the same, the desire to be noticed, included, loved, applauded, not just by my peers, but by, but by my peers, but by God himself. I'm just aiming to prove that verdict wrong in my heart. Maybe that was said to me or to you. What's the proof you're after? How are you proving it wrong? It's a good question to ask yourself. How are you proving that wrong, that you matter, that you're important, that you're loved? How do you prove it wrong? Because we're all trying to do that. We all try to prove it wrong, right? We all have that insecurity. How does God do this? That's the question. And that's what this sermon's about. God does this with the Holy Spirit. That's God's answer. That's how he affirms to you that you're loved and that you matter. Because he gives you the Holy Spirit. So we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit this morning. Three things I want to bring out about who the Holy Spirit is. His nature, number one his work, and his life. We're going to talk about these three things because the purpose of this speaks to the heart of what we're all after, what we're all longing for. Understanding the Holy Spirit is central, what, what not only what it means to be a Christian, but realizing what we're all, learning, affirming what we're all after, answering all those insecurities and sad verdicts that have been put on our lives. Myself, yourself, Mr. Hinn, Anyone that's called themselves Christians has had to wrestle with this. So let's go. The Spirit's nature, number one, is God. The Spirit's nature is God. I want to talk first about who is the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 15 of our text, you'll see on the screen, if you love me, keep my commands. That interesting. Love in Scripture, the proof of love is obedience. That's not what this sermon is about, though. But just, you know, put that in your pocket and wrestle with that later. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Now, this says a lot, but I want to hone in. I want to zero in on this another advocate statement. In this little verse, you see the Father. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, 
you see Jesus. He's the one asking, right? I will ask my Father. You see this, so you see the Son, and you see the Father, and you see the Holy Spirit. And I will give you another advocate. That other advocate is, the, is, the whole, is a reference to the Holy Spirit. He is the other advocate, the other comforter, the other helper. These are different ways Scripture translates this word. You know that, that the New Testament is written in Greek? Did you know this? And there are two words for another. There's another of a different kind and another of, a sa- of the same kind. So I will give you another of a different kind or another of the same kind. So there are two words, and the word that Jesus uses here is another of the same kind, not of a different kind. Let me explain to you a little bit about um, what I mean by this. Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to die, that he's going to resurrect from the dead, and he's going to leave them, ascend to heaven, and prepare a place for them. That's the context of this. But he says, don't be afraid. Don't let your heart be troubled because I'm sending the Spirit. I'm sending another comforter that is the same kind as me. He's the same kind of comforter as I am. Okay? So he says, don't be afraid because he, he is who I am. Whatever the nature of Jesus is, according to the Bible, so is the Spirit. So who the Father is, is the Son, is the Spirit. Does that make sense? He's another of the same kind. Now suppose, um, I suppose most of you have a car, right, if you're old enough to drive. Some of you maybe are a little bit more dangerous behind the wheel than others, but we all probably have a car. We got here in some kind of automotive vehicle type thing, right? Now, I rock a 2005 Toyota Corolla with 180,000 miles on it, and I know you're jealous of that, okay? Um, but I love that car. It's wicked awesome on gas, right, and it's, it's a beautiful car, okay? And many of you are blessed with, with other means of transportation, too. Some of you, you know, ride up here on rickshaws, and um, others not, right? So we all, a lot of us are blessed with some. Now, suppose I went up to you and I said, look, I want to give you a gift. I'm, I'm going to give you, this is, these are the keys to a brand-new 2019 Audi A4, now, can I get a what, what, right? That's a fat ride, P-H-A-T, right? A couple years in, so you're, you're thrilled. You're super stoked. You drive away on this thing. You fl- you're flying down Franklin Street. You get stopped by a cop, but you don't care because you got an Audi A4, 2019, baby blue, right? So you're driving this car. Two years in, I say, look, I'm, I, I, I got to take it back. I got to take the car back, right? Um, but I'm going to give you another vehicle, of the same kind. Cool. Cool beans, right? Okay, another Audi A4, 2021, right? Who wouldn't take that upgrade, right? I'm going to give you another car of the same kind, another vehicle of the same kind. No one would argue, thank you very much, I'll take the new one. Can you have, can you make sure this one has leather seats, please, right? But what if I said to you, now change it, if I said to you, I'm going to give you another vehicle of a different kind. Uh Uh-oh, a rickshaw is a vehicle. An old bus, Scoobs, is a vehicle, right? Like, that is making me a little nervous now. You could give me some roller skates, you know, like. But another vehicle of the same kind, you're going to get another Audi A4. That's what's going on here, friends. That's how this this works. When Jesus says, I'm going to give you another comforter, he's saying someone who is exactly like me in every way is going to come to you. And So what he's saying very simply is that God is going to live with you, God the Spirit. Someone exactly like me 
is going to come to you. So the Holy Spirit is God. He's the third person of the, of the one God who is triune in its nature, and I know that that's mysterious, but there is one God and three persons. This advocate is God, the Spirit. Jesus says the other comforter will live in you. Colossians chapter 3 says the comforter that live in, lives in you is God's Spirit. God's Spirit, not just the advocate or some force. It's God's Spirit, Colossians 3. So the other, the different, the not Jesus and the Father, but the same as the Father, this who has one nature with him, this other one is the same as them. So God is in you, in other words. What? How mysterious is that? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 says the same thing. The Lord is the Spirit. The Lord is the Comforter. You are God's temple in 1 Corinthians 3.16, God's house. See, the... Scripture is telling us that he'll be with you, in you forever, and the rest of Scripture starts to define what that means. It actually means he tabernacles in you. So in the Old Testament, where did God tabernacle? You Bible students will know that, that Moses built a tent, and the presence of God lived in the tent. Right? But when Jesus died on the cross, the, if you can just picture this, the tent was ripped in two, and the new tent is, is God's people. It's you. Isn't that incredible? God lives in you, not in a tent, not in a tabernacle, not in a temple, in you. The Spirit of God lives in you. But God isn't, but the Spirit isn't just God, He's a person. You see, sometimes people think of the Spirit as some kind of ab, abstract force, you know, like in Star Wars or something. But friends, the Bible says that man is made in the image of God. So if we're a person, then God must be a person. If we're made to be like God, then God must be a person as well, with a mind, emotions, and will. That's what makes us people, because we have mind, emotions, and will. Rocks don't have that. Animals don't have that, right? Like, we have this, this God awareness. I once heard someone say that a dog never looks up into the sky and says, where am I going to go when I die? Right? Like, so we're made in God's image. So if we're personal, God's personal. Does that make sense? So God is not just some kind of cosmic force. He's a person. The Spirit is called an advocate, a counselor, right? Um, <clears throat> God could not possess this, this counseling type of relationship with us, this helping relation, type of relationship with us if he were not a person. So God's nature is the same nature, um, excuse me, Jesus' nature is the same nature as the Spirit's. If Jesus is a person with mind, emotions, and will, so is the Spirit. And that should give us encouragement because what lives in us is not something disconnected from human emotions or trials. He shares them with us. So in Scripture, the Spirit gives us gifts. He lives in us. He comforts us. Right? He even is grieved when we resist Him. He guides us. We bear fruit in Him. So the Spirit is not just God. The Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is the divine third person of God's triune nature. That's who he is. But what does he do? What's his work? What's his ministry? We could maybe say it like that. What's his purpose? The, and this leads us to our second point about the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's work is conviction. Now, we can look over the whole scripture, and we can observe a lot of things that the Holy Spirit does on many different levels, how he relates to the Father and Son, his role in creation, and, and a, a whole lot more. 
that's a long conversation and it's an interesting conversation. That's why I direct you to the resources section online if you want to learn more about this. But this morning, because I'm really just trying to give you a bird's eye view and explain the Holy Spirit to you in one sermon, um, I'm, I want to zero in on how he relates to us, to humanity. What's his primary work within us? And John chapter 16, verses 7 through 8 says it, and it's on the screen. You can see it. This is what Jesus said about the Spirit. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Isn't that incredible? Jesus said that they were all worried about Jesus leaving. And Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I leave. And here's why. For if I don't go away, the helper, the other comforter who is like me, he won't come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So when Jesus leaves and the Spirit comes, his primary work is conviction. To convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now that really sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? And stodgy and difficult. But let me explain to you why this is extremely encouraging and helpful. Now the word helper in scripture is the same word for advocate or comforter. I'm going to send you another comforter, another advocate. We also get the word encourage from it. So when Paul says, um, I'm sending you the, the helper, we will also read, I'm sending you another encourager. Right? Now the Greek word is made up of two different words smushed together. Right? So you got two words kind of smushed together. And we have that happening in our English language too. Sometimes there are two words smushed together and they make one word. Isn't that true? Right? So there are two words smushed together. The Greek word is Parakaleo, okay? Para means with, like parallel, right? A parallel line is the alongside, right? Kaleo is to call, to call out. So parakaleto. So he's with us, calling us. Does that make sense? He's with us, calling us. Now this is incredible, because one pastor said that this word is a harsh, gentle word. It's a harsh, gentle word, and this is what he means. If the Holy Spirit is truth and life, if he convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, it means he calls us out. He calls a spade a spade. If you're a sinner, he doesn't say, well, you're not that bad. You're okay. You had a tough childhood. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't gloss it over. He calls us out. He catches us. And he speaks to us. He call, now, that's, that's tough, right? I don't, we don't want to be caught with our pants down. This is, this is tough. We want to hide. But the Spirit doesn't do that. But he doesn't just call us out. He's not just trying to humiliate us or to just say, look how awful you are. He's doing this as he's alongside of us. Para, kaleo. I'm with you, calling you out. You're not alone, in other words. I'm not up in heaven saying, look how awful these guys are. No, I'm going to you. I'm with you. I'm alongside of you. Um, that's what that word means. Does that make sense? So the first role of the Spirit is to speak to us, to call us out, to be honest with us. How many people in their life has, has ever had someone come up to them and said something honest to you, and it really cut you, but it's exactly what you needed to hear? Like it hurts, because maybe you failed, you were doing something wrong, right? Like, and and you, didn't, you were trying to escape that conversation, 
But when actually, someone actually had the guts to do it, to, to corner you and to say it out loud, it was almost like chains fell off you. I know that's happening. That doesn't always work out that good, by the way. But, <laughs> but like, I know that that's happened to me when I'm like, oh, finally, I'm not hiding anymore. I, someone's speaking to me in love because they care about me. That's the Holy Spirit. He convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. It cuts. So John 16 calls this conviction, this parakaleo, the helper is convicting us because he's calling out to us. And his words oftentimes cut, but they're necessary words. We need to hear them if we're ever to believe that we are sinners, that the problem in our life is that sin and separation from God, and life, freedom, and forgiveness is found if we simply put it on Christ. You see, that's where our freedom lies. That's where our life is. So he doesn't just call us out for the purpose of demeaning us or hurting us. He's para. He's alongside us. He's with us. You know that in, in the scriptures in Genesis chapter 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heaven and heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the surface of the deep. And what does the next verse say? And the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the waters. The word for hovered there, it's, a, it's what a mother hen does. Sitting on its egg. It's incubating it. It's giving it life. It's providing it what it needs so that it can have life. And friends, that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. It provides us what we need to have life. And what we need is two things. We need his presence and we need his word. Parakoleo. We can't be far from him, and we can't stop listening to him because we're afraid of what that might mean. You see, that's what the Spirit does. He is not just the convictor. He is the convictor helper. Man is so lost in sin that without the Holy Spirit calling out to us, none of us ever would have believed in him to begin with. That's what this means. You say, I was convicted of my sin, and I turned from it and trusted in Christ. Well, the only reason you did that was because he called you, because he incubated you. The mother hen sat on the egg of your life and you hatched and out came you. John 6, says that no one comes to me unless God draws him, incubates him, right? So friends, should you ever come to a sense of your own sinfulness and your own guilt, the purity of God's holiness, the deserved justice, all of the stuff that we talk about? If you ever come to the sense that God, God's loving provision, so he convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. It sounds like harsh against us, but how do we find righteousness? We're convicted that our righteousness is found in not ourselves, but in Christ. So the, con the conviction that comes to us is not just that we're sinners, but that the righteousness of Christ can save us. That's what the Spirit does. So hypothetically, if this has happened to you, you've understood your sin, the holiness of God, the deserved justice, the, the provision of Christ's love at the cross, if you've come to that and trusted in it, the only reason you have is because the Spirit has called out to you. The message has gone to your ears from Him. You say, how does that work? It's mysterious. I don't really get exactly how it works. Right? I'm not a God physicist. <laughs> right? like, but I know this. If my heart has come to repentant faith in Jesus Christ, it, it didn't come to it on its own. It came to it because God sought me. God came after me. Now, I know some of you more theologi theologically high-minded people think I might be talking about Calvinism right now. I'm not. <laughs> okay? That's a whole other conversation. So 
If you're happy that, I, that you thought I was referring to that, maybe you're not happy anymore. If you're mad that I was, because you thought I was referring to that, then maybe you can just chill out a little bit. Okay? No one can come to the Father unless he draws me. The reason I come to faith in Jesus Christ to begin with is because God was after me. He was after me. According to Jesus, anyone who has believed in Jesus is born again, born of the Spirit. In other words, I believe because I'm born of the Spirit. And if you don't have the Spirit, it says in Romans 8, you don't belong to God. So it's necessary for me to have saving faith in Jesus to have his Spirit in me. Does that make sense? Now, many years ago, I told you I was 15 when I came to faith in Jesus. I was around a campfire at a camp, and I, and I knew I'm a sinner. And I need to put it down. And I need to trust in Jesus and follow him. Right? I'm convinced that that happened. In that moment, when I came to faith in Jesus, when I turned from sin to trust in Christ, that I wasn't just making a logical choice. I wasn't just doing like a theological math in my head and just saying, okay, that was wrong, this is right. That's not what was happening. I was responding to a call from a personal God. He was calling me. You see the difference? You see, friend, it's not just logic. It's not just, I conclude Jesus is Lord. He's calling me, and I'm going to him. That's the Spirit. That's what the Spirit does. So I wasn't just making a logical choice that day. God showed up in my heart that night. He was a person calling out to me, pursuing me, and his presence made something clear to me, that I was far from him. That everything I thought I needed, I didn't need. I really needed him. And Jesus made it possible to forgive my sin and to bring me back to him. That was the purpose of my life. It's the reason I was born. And friend, it's the reason you were born. The spirit in where he leads is not misery. misery. And we need to ask ourselves a question. Do we have the spirit in us? Good question, right? If, we, if, if the Spirit of God in us means that we're saved, we're forgiven of our sin and promised eternal life, we need to know that we have His Spirit. How do we know that? Well, does your sin convict you? Because if it doesn't, according to Scripture, the Spirit is not in you. Does your sin convict you? Do you love your plan for your life better than God's? Is your will, your plan, your purpose more important than his? Because that tells me that you believe your gospel and you don't believe God's gospel. You're, you're faithing in yourself and your plan and your will. You see, you're proving yourself that you matter, that you're important, not in what God has said or done, but in how you can pull it off. See? And we've all done this. I've been there, friend. Does this bother you a little bit or not at all? You see, friends, the Spirit and where he leads, when you, really, when you, when you have him, it's not misery. It's not grievous self-denial. I'm not suggesting that there aren't seasons in the Christian life where conviction is low and it's small, that voice is small. We, we shouldn't always be afraid that we don't have the Spirit because we, we fell into sin, right? Like, that happens. I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm talking about, like, is it chronic? It's never a problem for you. When the, because when you have the Spirit, when He leads, it's not misery. It's not grievous self-denial. It's life. 
The Spirit's nature is God himself. The Spirit's working in us is his conviction to lead us to life. And that's what his presence does. Number three, the Spirit's presence is life. The Spirit's nature is God. The Spirit's work is conviction. And the Spirit's presence is life. You say, I don't want to give up all these things. This sounds horrible. Friends, the Spirit's presence is life. It's life. The moment that, that I, Kyle, responded to the conviction and call of God's Spirit through, through repentance of sin and faith in Christ, I was alive for the first time. When I was 15 years old, I found myself. Oh, there you are. You ever see the, the movie uh, Hook? See that movie Hook? There's a scene that I love in Hook. Um, he's, he's denying that he's Peter Pan. He doesn't realize, he's like resisting the fact that he's Peter Pan and he's like denying it. He's even in, um, what do they call that? The Lost World? That's not what it's called. The Neverland. He's in Neverland with the Lost Boys, Captain Hook, and he's still in denial. Right? He's seeing all this in front of his face. And then they're all eating. You remember the scene? They're around the table and they're all eating and he can't see any of the food. And all the Lost Boys are like, mm, this is so delicious. And oh, I, like, it's so good past the turkey. And he's like, what are you, nuts? There's no food. Right, so finally, <laughs> he picks up a spoon. He gets this bowl filled with nothing. And he, in his mind, he's pretend, he pretends to get something out of it. And then he flicks it at one of the Lost Boys. You remember this scene? And then, then, and then he sees it. And they have this big food fight. And then, then the, there's this line that says to him, Oh, there you are, Peter. There you are. You see, we think like, oh, if I stop sexing and boozing and drugging and, or just like trying to prove myself by coming to church and being good and all this stuff, like if I just trust in Jesus and follow Jesus, what a bummer. But what, actually what happens, oh, there you are. You find yourself. And that's what happened a little 15-year-old Kyle many years ago. I found myself for the first time because the Spirit's presence is life. It's not grueling misery. So many fi things fell off of me that day. The music I listened to, it changed, right? The company I kept, the way I talked, everything changed. And it wasn't because I was pompous or holier than now. It was because I was in love, <laughs> right? Like, um, you know that when I fell in love with Mandy, I was a different person? It's just true. Um, she was with me when she wasn't with me. How many people know what I'm talking about when you fall in love? They're with you when they're not with you? Right? You think, you think, it's like they're right there. You could even have a conversation to nothing. Right? And they would be right there with you. Uh, and I, so many things about me changed. I stopped dating other girls. So if you thought I still was, then that's not true. I didn't want other, I wanted her. So I, stop, I stopped dating other girls. Um, I aimed to do things that she enjoyed. Right? Now, I know you're saying, like, this is probably not true to this day. Like, uh, <laughs> right? So I, I'll say this. That, that's true. Sometimes I get selfish. But when I'm actively loving her, it is still true to this day. So I can change right now and be a jerk, right? But when I, when I decide I'm going to love my wife because she's my wife, then that's what happens. I take her with me where I go. I consider her. I want to do the things that she wants to do. And, and I'm not consumed with all the things I want to do. Right? It's, I'm a different person. And it's not grudging mi misery. How many people are married and know that when you love your spouse, it's better for you? <laughs> right? You actually are happier. And even when you have to sacrifice things like watching a game or going to a certain place, 
Like when you love your wife, what you get out of that is better than if you had gone and done the thing that you wanted to do. And I'm not even saying because like, oh, be, oh why? Because your spouse will nag you and you'll get into a fight? Well, that, maybe that's a little part of it. But honestly, I know as a person when I'm married, if I sin against my wife, even if she doesn't say boo, when I walk away from her, I'm not happy. I'm miserable. Right? Isn't that true? When you get married one day, I think you'll know if you're not married already. The spirit is kind of like that, friends. It's like being married. I remember one time we got into a fight. Um, our first fight when we were dating. I don't even know if she remembers this. We got into our first fight. It was over something stupid. It wasn't even that big a deal. But we got into a fight. It was late at night. She, she goes home. I go home. And, and it bothered me that something was between us. Right? Oh, I don't want there to be. So this is so foolish, too. Like, is she, and I was in, so is she mad at me? I love her. I don't want there to be something in between us. So I go back to her house. It's like midnight. So I, I creep up to her house like a creep. And all the lights are off because it's midnight. Everyone's sleeping. I'm like, oh, I can't wait till the morning. She's not answering her phone because she's sleeping. So you know what I did? This is the truth. I, I threw rocks at her window. <laughs> like a 15-year-old. I threw rocks at her window because I, I had to make it right because I loved her. Right? But then she didn't wake up, so I went home. And I had to wait, <laughs> wait till the next day. But friends, can I, can I suggest to you when you have the Spirit, that's what it's like. Like, when you know God, you want Him. It's not misery. When, when you sin against Him, you're not okay with it. You throw rocks at His window. And it's not because you're trying to prove yourself to Him or trying to be better than other people. It's just because you love Him. You don't want there to be something in between you. The Spirit's presence is, is sort of like that. It's life to us. It makes us new. It makes us different. It wasn't annoying for me when I, when I stopped listening to Dr. Dre's chronic, right? It wasn't a, a, like, oh, man, I can't listen, you know, to Dre Day anymore, right? Like, come on. It wasn't annoying for me to, to wait for marriage, you know, sexual purity and all this. It's not annoying to me to, to, to preserve even the purity of my own marriage to this day. It's not a, an annoying chore to read scripture or to pray, because the Spirit's in you. There's life in you. You want that because you love him. You see, I was alive for the first time when I was 15 years old, and I've been alive ever since. And the only times that in my life that I've ever known misery is when I've resisted the only source of life that I have, and that's the Spirit of God. You see, as a Christian, I have this amazing privilege and power. The moment I turn from sin and embrace the Spirit again, I have life instantly. And it doesn't matter what I did. It doesn't matter how bad it was. I get life back. That's the Spirit's power. You see, um, Romans chapter 8 talks about this well. I got a lengthy passage. I don't think it's on the screen. I forgot. To, oh, I did. Okay, good. Um, Romans chapter 8 is a lengthy passage, but it gives you such an amazing description of this. So please try and pay attention. Look at the screens or in your Bible. I'm going to read this. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm, but, but a lot of it, though. So it says in this, in chapter 8, verse 1, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. For the law of the Spirit has set you free in Christ. From the law of sin and death. You're free because of the Spirit. For to set the, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. It's death. 
to grieve the spirit, to be outside of the spirit. It's death. It's misery. It's all it brings. To set the mind in the flesh is death, but to set the mind in the spirit is life and peace. That's what you get. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons. Now, now spirit, capital S, the spirit, the Holy Spirit. Not a spirit like the spirit of kindness, right? The spirit in you is an affirmation to you that you are adopted children of God by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, lowercase s, the Holy Spirit bears witness with our, with our spirit, our human spirit, that we are children of God, and if children, heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Isn't this amazing? Oh, couldn't you just read this all day? What then shall we say to these things in verse 31? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who didn't spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all thanks? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to, to condemn? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine? No, none of these things. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in creation will ever be able to separate me from the love of Christ in our Lord. Isn't that incredible? Nothing. That's what the Spirit affirms with your spirit. When you're filled with the Spirit, when you abide in the Spirit, when you're not grieving the Spirit, that's what you get in the Christian life. You get a life without condemnation, the assurance that you're not condemned, that you matter, that you're forgiven, that you're important. I don't need to, God to knock a tree down, in other words. And Benny Hinn doesn't need people to get slain in the spirit for him to know that he's loved by Christ. He doesn't, God doesn't need to give you a million dollars or work out a relationship. That's not how he proves to you that you, he loves you or that, he ma- that, or that you matter to him. He doesn't prove himself to you by those things. He proves himself to you by giving himself to you. You get him. And with him comes the knowledge that you're not condemned, that you're sealed in Ephesians 1 with with God's presence to the day of redemption. He has marked you and he keeps you saved, friends. He pronounces sonship on you. You're in. And your dad doesn't say to you that you'll never make it. Your dad says to you, You have made it. I'm crowning you with everything I'm crowning Jesus with, and I'm giving you everything I give to to Jesus because you're co-heirs with Christ. Isn't that incredible? You got to sleep around anymore. You don't got to lie, cheat, or steal. You don't got to prove yourself. It is that because the Spirit, if, if you've trusted in Christ and you've been saved, the Spirit is in you, and you have it by virtue of the fact that it is God's gift, and the Spirit affirms it to yours. Isn't that incredible? Heirs of Christ, with Christ, nothing is against you. Did, you. did you see that in the text that we just read? What shall we say if God is for us? Who can be against us? You say, my boss is against me. No, he's not. Let me ask you this. If you were surrounded by a, a big brick wall and there were bees on the outside trying to get in, even if those bees were against you, it doesn't matter, right? They can't get through that brick wall. 
Your boss can't get through God. And your dad can't get through God. And your mom can't get, your friends can't, your, your ex can't, your husband or wife can't. None of them can get through that wall. If God is for you, who is against you? Nobody. Because he, the, him being for you is the only one that matters. Right? So we're heirs of Christ, never to be separated from his love. Isn't that incredible? When we fail, we can repent, return to him, have no condemnation and forgiveness and complete union and fellowship. Wow. Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. You know him, for he lives with you in you, and he'll be in you. I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Oh, and what a wonderful gift we have that when we put repentant faith in Jesus Christ and the Spirit makes his home in us, that we have an advocate, an encourager, a helper who is with us that calls us out and forgives us and assures us of everything that we have in Christ. You see, that's the proof right there. You see, Scripture says don't grieve the Holy Spirit, don't resist him. It tells us to kill the flesh and to be filled with the Spirit. Friends, just think about this with me logically. If the Spirit is our life, if our, if our body, if our hearts are his home, then to grieve him is to grieve us. Right? To walk away from him is to walk away from me. You're not going to find life anywhere else. If the Spirit affirms our adoption and the love of God has for us, then to grieve the Spirit is to begin to doubt God's love, to become insecure and deprived of it. Oh, but the Spirit is life. You see, when I was 15, I didn't get something that's very important. It's a mistake I think probably Mr. Mr. Hinn has made and that probably all of us have at some point in our lives. The proof that God loves us, that we're special to him, that he would move heaven and earth for us, that we do have a special relationship with God, that he looks at us with love and affirmation. The proof of all of this is that he's pleased with us and proud of us. It's not miracles we perform. It's not prayers God answers for us. It's not the success of our work. It's not the prosperity of our lives. It is his spirit in you whispering to you that God will always love you, no matter what. That's it. So you don't got to look for miracles anymore, friend. Okay? Evidence or proof that, that you're okay. You see, the spirit in you brings life. Look to that. I don't have to find life in other places, in sex, even in marriage, in my gender identity, in, in the respect of my peers, all of these different things. Christianity is basically the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is basically life. Come and get it. Amen? Now, now let's, let's get some vision on this. Can you imagine if all our church got this and lived like this, what kind of church we'd be? Can you imagine if you just put down your self-striving and trusted the gospel and got your life from God's love 
and not from his creation? Can you imagine how you couldn't shut us up? You see, friends, when I had that kind of life, and when I have that kind of life in human relationships, like with my wife, I'm a, I talk about her. I don't care if it annoys you, right? Like, have you met my wife? Isn't she beautiful? Right? Like, no, I'm saying hypothetically. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk about her. I love her, right? Like, you can't stop. When that's, that's, that's your life. We're going to become evangelists, in other words. We're going to tell people, you can have this life too, is it possible that the reason we don't share our faith is because we're, grie- we're grieving the Holy Spirit? We're trying to find life in, in the creation instead of the gospel, instead of God and his love. Is that maybe why, we, it, you know, it's, it's okay for us to sort of just live far from God and insecure and afraid? You see, I, I think if we were that kind of church, oh, oh what, we, what kind of church we'd be. Condemnation would flee. Pa- peace would reign. And we'd, we'd tell everyone we know about it. If you don't know Jesus this morning, oh, if you hear his call, if you put it down, all, the, all, all this fake life, fake solutions that never satisfy, would you come to him? Would you be satisfied in your maker and his salvation that he provides? I hope you will. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we ask you for your help. We pray if anyone doesn't know you that they'd come to faith in you right now. Jesus, I want to put this down. I want to accept the, the, the miracle of salvation in Christ's death and resurrection and lay all my sin and self-striving on it. Trust in you. I'm going to trust that your spirit's going to come to me and affirm to me your great love and all that you want for me. God, for the rest of us, I pray that we would know you and love you and follow you. Restore us in Jesus' name.